There's a story about one of the great and most famous philosophers of all time, Socrates, where the oracle at Delphi concluded that he, Socrates, was the wisest person in the world. The story goes on that Socrates couldn't figure out why. Now, other people seem to know so much more than him. So what made him the most wise person in all of the world? Come to find out, Socrates was the wisest person in the world because he was honest about how much he didn't know. Socrates was very aware of his limited and finite knowledge. His wisdom had little to do with what he knew and more to do with how he knew himself. Socrates was wise because he understood the nature of his perspective. What keeps us from having such bountiful wisdom? Welcome to another episode of Becoming Human, where we're trying to get smarter. Yeah, kind of, but mostly we're trying to live better. The whole point of this is to explore the world as much as possible so that we can figure out how to better live in it. And that's what we've been doing. We've, we've been talking about conflict and then arguments and the ways that we frame arguments and why that kind of leads to conflict and how if we just knew a little bit more about some of the stuff that could help us put our conflicts in their proper place. And now what we're doing is we're looking at how our perspective, you know, kind of makes that conflict inevitable. I was trying to think of a joke that was going to start with two perspectives walk in a room, you know, kind of like a, a rabbi and a priest walk into a bar. I, I couldn't find, figure out a good way to make that a joke. If you have one, please tell me and then maybe I can use it in the future at some point. But two perspectives walk into a room. Why do they always disagree? And that's what we started looking at last time. And hopefully today what we can end with is when two perspectives walk into a room that will inherently disagree because they have seen the world differently and thought about the world differently, how are they going to respond to that? How ought we respond to perspectives that are going to naturally be different? That's what we're going to look at today. For those of you who have listened, thank you. I, seriously, it means a lot to me that you're willing to think about these things. And, and like I say, you know, I'm doing this because I want to know this stuff. I, I want to try to improve how I live. And so anybody who's willing to go on the journey with me, you have my most sincere gratitude. Hopefully it's beneficial. If it is, you know, subscribe share it around, whatever I'm supposed to tell you to do at this point. Honestly, whatever. I'm just glad that you're you're here. I'm just glad that you're listening. So let's get into it for today. Let's learn, let's grow, and let's become more human. So important notes from last episode. This is about epistemology. How do people know things and what can we know and how does our knowledge work? That's that whole field. You know, you might not ever use that word, but you do this every single day. What we found is there's two main ways 
usually called rationalism and empiricism. And we're going to get into that here in a few episodes. I'd, I'd love to dive more into what those are because they're, again, things you use every day and it sounds impractical, but it's super practical. Um, and what we saw within those two ways is that our minds are finite and our perspectives, therefore, are finite. And our experience is limited. You know, you can only see what you have time to see and what happens to be in front of you. Your, so your experience is limited, which means your perspective is limited. So we have this egocentric perspective. We're, we only really see and understand the world through our minds and our eyes, which aren't capable of seeing and understanding everything. So our perspectives are limited. And that in and of itself, not a big deal. We should, we should know that that's the tools we're working with there. We should know that's what's going on. Uh, it Honestly, I can't tell you how often I see people act like, no, everybody else's perspective is subjective, but mine, I'm the one who has the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard it all before. Thank you. The real issue here is, why is this a problem? Or what makes this into a problem and does it have to be that way? So let's start with, um, you know, a hypothetical situation, an example. And, you know, maybe maybe you found yourself in this before. You know, I certainly have. Let's think about what happens when you have your perspective on how Tupperware ought to be stored. Yeah, you're probably hoping that I was going to say, you know, your perspective on guns or abortion or presidents. Yeah, I'm smart enough to know not to dive into that water. So we're going with Tupperware. Now, your perspective on Tupperware comes from your mathematical, logical algorithms of physics and how your tried and true experience has collected a mass of empirical data to prove the concept that began all the way back with your ancestors in 1950s when your grandma attended Tupper's home party selling plastic containers. You know, that was one of the first MLMs, by the way. Now, if that's the case, your perspective here is built with all of the classical ways of knowing things, right? You've done, you've done the logical reasoning, the rationalism. You're using physics to determine the best way to store something. But you also have your tried and true experience, right? You've collected empirical data. So you're using empiricism. And then you're able to, you know, come up with what's called a logos approach to reasoning uh, or persuasion because you can argue from these facts and logic that you've developed. But you're also referring to, you know, your ancestors, how they've done it. And there's some ethos in your persuasion and your perspective as well. Now, all those things, rationalism, empiricism, logos, ethos, pathos, we'll talk about that later. Again, you use that stuff every day, even if you're not aware that those what those are called. So that's your perspective on Tupperware. But then someone else has claimed to have a better way to store Tupperware. See, you you place your containers in a cabinet stacked perfectly according to size and use, and then you put the lids in the little drawer above the cabinet. Super efficient. But this other person says, the best way to store the containers is with their respected lid together 
in the cabinet. Because what happens with your way is you end up amassing a bunch of Tupperware that you don't need. And then you have to spend time finding the right lid when you could have just had less containers and always have the correct combination every time you need it. Reach right in. Sure, it takes up more space, but look how much more effective it is. So who's right? Well, we might first want to pay attention, you know, if there is a conflict here. And we'd follow the recommendations on conflict resolution, right? Yeah, just go back a few episodes. We'd also want to take care to pay attention to the position and how the approach to the argument is shaping someone's perspective, right? Is this a fact argument? Is this a value argument? Is this a policy argument? And of course, we'd want to know whether they are following a deontological rule-based method, a greatest good method, a teleological method, you know, all that would be good to know as well. And yes, this is a ridiculous example, and that's on purpose. Because in a way, all of our disagreements, where we approach someone who has seen the world differently, which would be, in fact, everyone, and has led them having a different perspective, any argument there, it's ridiculous. If we're approaching the conflict as if our currently held perceptions are not actually perceptions. See, we should have arguments. We should have conversations. We should have these two people engage with what is a good way to store Tupperware. Where it becomes ridiculous, and this, is, this can be about any topic you can imagine. It becomes ridiculous when somebody says, no, I have the best way here. And your way is wrong. And I know it's just Tupperware, but we do this all the time. So let's just start here now with a phrase that I really don't like. And I know I actually used it a couple episodes ago and I wanted to say, hey, I'm using this as an example, but we're going to deconstruct this later. I just don't like this phrase. Agree to disagree. I get it. And in certain social situations, it can be helpful. You know, if, if we're honest, it's probably good that some people use this who would otherwise just be hell-bent on convincing other people to agree with whatever they think. And I appreciate that sometimes we're willing to compromise and, you know, agree to disagree. However, <clears throat> agree to disagree assumes a certain uh, non-existence to your movement with your perspective. You know, the only person in the disagreement that you can control, when you say agree to disagree, you're saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just acknowledging that you aren't either, so I'm not going to try. If we are assuming that, we might also be assuming that our perspective is complete. We might not be paying attention to the fact that our perspective, even if it's pretty good, even if it's a great way to stack Tupperware, it might not be working with all the information. So what can we do? And, you know, this is what we've been exploring. Disagreement, conflict, conflict resolution. This is the water we swim in these days. Just say the words of gun control or abortion or Donald Trump or any host of words that, you know, trigger adherence to a particular perspective. And, you know, you know the temperature in the room is just going to skyrocket. 
But this isn't just about in vogue issues of the day, right? If you spend enough time with another human being, differences are going to emerge to the surface and you're going to have to navigate that. And almost always those differences come down to your perspective, the way you have seen and understood the world up until that point. Those disagreements are going to become unavoidable because no two people have seen and understood the world the exact same way. We can't avoid the disagreements. We can't avoid the potential conflicts. We can have a way of engaging with different perspectives that aren't so destructive. So what do we do with these disagreements? Well, again, we can start by having the same disagreement, making sure we're aware of the approaches used, the methods of moral reasoning, all that. Um, But I don't think the answer here is just to agree to disagree. And so we need to come back and go, what's the root cause that makes us diverge from others in the first place? Well, back to the last episode. It's that finite, limited, egocentric view of the world. You know, welcome, I guess, to the frustrating reality of American culture. Our perspectives cause disagreement and conflict because our perspectives are never the same. And this egocentrism, it's not a bad thing, but it does naturally lead to disagreements because it means that, you know, no two people are interacting with the world the same. I, I see the world through my eyes. It's how I think about, understand, and experience reality. But you see the world through your eyes, which offers its own unique angle. Every single perspective, by default, will all be different because they arrive at their conception of reality differently. Your experience of the world implicates how you understand the world. All of us, then, have different access to different conglomerations of knowledge, which forms your unique perspective, which is rooted in seeing the world through your eyes. So hopefully, we can at least agree on that. (laughs) But maybe my perspective on epistemology and knowledge and perspective is, you know, incomplete. And you have fair reason to argue with me there. Now, if this is at all true, this means, if you remember what I said from Immanuel Kant last episode, it means that he was actually wrong. Yes, I, Tyler Kleberger, just said that Immanuel Kant was wrong. How arrogant of me. No, I'm not actually disagreeing with his philosophy here. I'm just pointing out something that's additional to it. Because he said that Nobody's perception is reality. He said that our perception of the world is so dependent on our unique myopic experience that it can't possibly cover and contain all of reality. We can't actually comprehend everything in the external world. And he's right about that. But in our own little worlds, in our own internal minds and experiences, perception is kind of our own little internal reality. And the philosophical term for this, this view of humanity is called the microcosm. We kind of exist like we are our own world. For us then, perception is reality, at least to you. The world that has been constructed from your point of view 
is the world as you know it. What we see is what we know. And what we know determines how we see. Now, I want to say, if you have a way to circumvent this human issue, you know, finite limitations and phenomenological egocentrism, I'm sure a Nobel Peace Prize awaits your proposal for this epistemological nightmare. In the meantime, what do we actually do with this? Because the furthest extent this goes that's problematic is where each person's perspective is their own objective truth. The, the problem is if, if, our, if our perspectives are naturally subjective, and there's nothing we can do about that, the problem is when we assume that we are objectively and obviously right. You know, I can only imagine what a culture would be like if you gave everyone a platform to self-publish their perceptions and their assumed objective reality with no peer review, no need for substantiation, and no filter to induce a productive conversation, right? You know, you have no standard criteria for that. Can only imagine what would happen. Oh, thanks, social media. You gave us a place for opinion to reign as fact, and of course, Everyone has different facts these days. But we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves. Remember, this is our natural disposition. And listen, why wouldn't we be so certain about our perspectives? It makes so much sense to us. The issue, however, is that any beliefs or thoughts or perspectives that differentiate from ours the issue is that we start assuming, oh, those must be irrational. If you have complete knowledge, then everyone else is the only ones with incomplete knowledge, and they become the problem. We tend to, therefore, filter the world through our perspectives like metal detectors. We only accept what matches our reality, and we dismiss anything else. Because we start with our certainty. We assume that our knowledge and information is complete, that we've come to the conclusion on something, and we don't pay attention to how our epistemological finitude and limitations may be making our perspective just as incomplete and uncertain as theirs. And we just assume, you know, there's one approved rational perspective on any one thought, issue, or behavior and conveniently, it always happens to be, you know, our perspective, obviously. Slight problem, the person with a different perspective, they're assuming the exact same thing. So who's right? This is why Erasmus, an old philosopher, said it was pointless to argue because we can't know anything for certain. So why would we argue about who's right? We're actually arguing about who's more right, but we do it as if these two different perspectives are both complete, and they're not. You should be seeing the problem here. And again, this brings up issues like rationalism versus empiricism. You know, two different ways to try to get at uh, uh, some sort of complete knowledge. And different people can have different tendencies to use different forms, and then we disagree on which form is better. 
Um, or this does bring up the issue of, is there such a thing as objective truth? And you might be hearing this and you say, oh, another relativist, and you'd be wrong. Okay, and we'll handle those conversations soon. But the issue here is that our finitude and limitations mean we aren't working with all the information. So why do we argue as if we are? You know, and it's not relativism. It's unavoidable subjectivism in pursuit of certainty with recognizing that we have phenomenological constraints. And if you don't understand what I just said, don't call me a relativist. By the way, I will say, because I do think objective absolutes are possible, at least potentials, we're probably all going to get a little closer to an objective truth if we would just put our perspective in the proper place. And so, yeah, we could just agree to disagree. You know, a certain tolerance and calmness could follow. We won't hate each other as much, I guess. But then we would be foregoing the ability to gain even more information and even more practical conclusions as to what to do next. We will all just continue in our small worlds and let our inchoate perspectives continue to be a very small version of reality. We don't pursue knowing more because we're not honest about how what we know is in everything. So what do we do with this mess of perspectives and disagreement? Yes, this epistemological nightmare, I like to call it. Well, first, we need to begin with putting our perspectives in the proper place. You know, if our perspective is finite, simply as a result of being a limited human being, and if truth is not something that you can have a corner on the market on, then there's two necessary recommendations we need to do if we are going to keep our perspectives from causing problems, if we're going to put our perspectives in their proper place. First, you got to start. You got to start by recognizing the nature of our perspective. I understand that some of this can be like, oh, who cares about this? But we have to see that the fact that our culture doesn't know this means that we argue in the ways that we do. And if you're going around going, I have the objective truth, I'm the one working with the facts here, you're not being honest, and it's not helpful. And yes, you might be more right than somebody else. That doesn't mean that you have the world completely figured out. We need to acknowledge our limitations, and we need to be honest that we aren't working with all the information. We need to be aware that our thoughts, our ideas, and our perspectives might just be approximations. And if that is true, the second thing we need to do in response is we need to keep exploring. We need to see that truth is a process. We keep moving towards it. If we are currently incomplete in our knowledge, we want to keep gaining more and more. And when we fail to move past our limited myopic perspective, we guarantee that we will just stay where we are. You know, there's a lack of imagination and therefore a lack of growth. If anybody who just wants to pretend like they're fine just the way they are and they can statically sit with the way they think. This is what I brought up with Socrates at the beginning. Socrates was so confident that he didn't know everything 
that he therefore had wisdom. But it doesn't take a sociological or cultural expert to realize that, at least in America, acknowledging our limitations and exploring the world, those are two things we aren't so good at. If you're still listening to all this, you have my admiration. I do realize that, you know, it, it can come, sometimes be a feat of endurance to sit through my boring verbosity. But I do think this stuff's important. You know, how often do we embark on this territory without giving any thought to what is happening under the surface of our lives and relationships and society? So knowing the contents and causes and underlying issues of our lives, it makes it easier to live better. And you, I guarantee, are going to continue to have disagreements. Your perspective is going to clash with others who have the same default state of myopic egocentrism. And those disagreements, they don't have to be bad. They could be beneficial if we know how to walk this path. And that's the point of this. How do we deal with our, you know, our tenuous perspectives and handle our disagreements constructively? How do we keep from getting into this, you know, rock and a hard place fights about who's more right and instead figure out a way to allow both people in a disagreement to recognize, oh, hey, neither of us are working with all the information. So how can we both leave here with more information than when we came in? And I want you to think back to the not so brief guide to conflict resolution the biggest issue with the various approaches that also happens, you know, with this conversation on perspectives is the difference between a competitive approach versus a collaborative approach. If your perspective doesn't need changed, and in fact, you know, you can't progress any further, then the only thing left to do is defend it, you know, from those barbarians who have not quite attained your level of enlightenment. When it comes to our perspective, we tend to defend and compete because we are right and they, therefore, obviously can't be. We don't need more information and we simultaneously reject whatever doesn't fit in the metal detector approach to our minds and it is everyone else who needs to be convinced that they are wrong. Defense is a means to justify where you are and persuade the other to join you know, your obviously correct side. And what happens is the competitive approach leaves very little room for understanding and for seeing more. Because the only thing we do when we compete, the only thing we do when we start with, I have the truth here, they therefore are wrong, is that we either convert them or we have to crush them. And this is often what we think of when we think of an argument. Two people with their own perspectives defending their positions in hopes that the other side will accept their wrongness and potentially see the world, you know, my way. That's, that's how we think arguments are supposed to go. You start with you, you dig your feet in, and you attempt to convince the other side that you're right, they should join you. Someone wins, someone loses. Ironically, typically what happens, both sides usually portray themselves as the winner. And then they go to their friends and they affirm, you know, their self-approval with tales of victory and destruction or they just sordidly talk about, you know, so-and-so, they're just so stupid and wrong also that they're 
their their internal tribal pat them on the back. And all that's in an effort to resolve this internal tension we have that we just experienced, where we recognize there's something wrong with both of us clashing and, and trying to compete about perspectives that aren't full. And not much result. You know, when we argue from our perspective, the best case scenario is that one group will change their mind. But if both positions believe that they have the more objective perspective, you know, it will usually result with both groups. They leave, they cling to their reality and change progress. Yeah, that's, that's not actually going to happen. The more common scenario is that the other is characterized as wrong. And, you know, they're either deemed as an antagonist or, you know, I guess best case scenario, we all agree to disagree. This approach to differing perspectives and, and, you know, competitive approaches to conflict in general, it has a cultural side effect too. when, When we start portraying perspectives as being objectively true and both sides believe that their objective is the true one, and then we compete with it, we end up developing, uh, you know, two sides that are constantly in competition and trying to deconstruct one another. You know, just look at YouTube with all these brand name rhetoricians who, can, can I just say, not only is it very easy to watch or read these folks' content and realize that they have spent more time building a brand than developing something to say, I, I don't know why we have allowed those who are the best marketers to be the people who shape our perspectives the most. Anyways, you also have this strange phenomenon where you know the captions are labeled with language like Ben Shapiro destroys so and so or you know Jamie Oliver picks apart something I don't know. It, whatever the 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 cultural trope is of the day. But identity politics are well and alive especially by these brand name folks who build a brand off of rebelling against identity politics. It's very strange. But we're left with a culture where folks have not only conceded, you know, their philosophical, ideological, ethical formation to someone who gets to speak for them now, and we just keep watching their YouTube videos and the going and regurgitating everything they say. It also means that a very solid portion of the perspectives and worldviews walking around the earth are people who have allowed it to be at the whims of whatever content they have surrounded themselves with. They've given their perspective to a cultural spokesperson, many of whom don't have the most nuanced articulations of anything. And because that person has such a need to show that they are right, you know, when they make that YouTube video and they talk about crushing and demolishing and they need to show that they have the objective truth so people will keep buying in. Now you're left with people, especially young folks, who walk around going, oh no, I already know everything because so-and-so told me and that's obviously true and here we're going to end up having the same arguments again and again. We have all of this media and content that seems to exist just to build the base and entrench perspectives and, you know, move the group a little closer to ultimate victory where we can completely destroy the other side. And that's part of the outcome of this approach, which is, again, the approach that is the least promoted method of conflict resolution, not only because it's ineffective, 
but because it ensures that limited, finite perspectives will never move past where they are. And it should be no surprise that we don't naturally want to change our perspectives. It should be no surprise that we gravitate towards this stuff. Because changing our perspectives, it's, it's problematic. We, we avoid changing our perspective for the same reason we often avoid changing our behavior. You know, change is disruptive, change is a loss, change is a difficult and slow process. You know, go back to episode six for more on this. But changing your perspective differs from behavioral change in two important ways. You know, if you're trying to lose weight or quit a substance addiction, the decision to make that change is incredibly simple. Manifesting the change, however, is vastly more difficult, and often it never comes to completion. Because if you're trying to change your perspective on something, well, you know, most people don't even consider trying to change their perspective because our perspective or ideology is not something we consider to be external to us, you know, compared to, say, our behavior or a physical characteristic. One does not associate their existence with the habit of being a smoker or a heavy social media scroller because behaviors exist in our identity very different than belief. Behaviors are things we do, not things we are. And so we often, you know, define ourselves based on these mental constructs, these perspectives. We make them synonymous with who we are. And this means that changing a perspective is both easier and harder than changing behavior. It's easier because unlike losing weight or quitting a substance, changing a perspective has no inherent difficulty. It requires no time or energy. You can technically choose to change your perspective in an instant with no work whatsoever. But it's harder than changing behavior because you aren't just disrupting norms or losing a familiar component to your life. Changing your perspective is the equivalent of losing and disrupting the very essence of who you are. Not only will it feel like, you know, we have to admit that we were wrong, but we may also feel as if, you know, wait, we, we were living a lie for all those years. Why would we want to consider doing that? If, however, we're willing to consider changing it, this would lead us to the conflict resolution approach called collaboration which has actually shown to produce reconciliation and constructive conflict that transcends and transforms both parties. Because instead of positions to defend, there is an interest to navigate in cooperation with the other. Instead of leaving the situation, you know, with further cemented perspective, each side leaves a little further along than when they entered. And what they realize usually is not that they were wrong, or they had to even change their perspective. Simply that they added to it, and they know more now than they did before. They went along on this process of filling out their incomplete perspective and their incomplete knowledge, and they grew. How I'd love to see our culture go, Oh, okay, tell me about where you are. All right, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where I am. Now, we're both a little closer to that certainty that we crave. You know, there's the debate, there's the argument, and then there's the collaboration. 
There is just agreeing to disagree. And then there is agreeing to both keep pursuing the process of truth by acknowledging our limitations, acknowledging our subjective and finite and myopic perspectives, and acknowledging all of these epistemological assumptions and the various nuances that our life has produced. And then we share them in mutual collaboration and interdependence toward a better wisdom than what we have right now. Because whatever we know, there's a lot we don't know. And if our knowing is based on what we see with our limited perspectives, our limited experience, and what we know and understand based on our finite minds, then the goal ought to be to continue to see as much as possible. And that will only happen if we acknowledge our limitations and choose to explore instead of defend those finite limited perspectives. What if we put down our myopic certainty, our small worlds, and utilized our various perspectives? What if we kept exploring so that we can close the gap of where we are and where we could be? I'm guessing that there would be much less arguments, much less attempts to defend an incomplete perspective, and we would trade our debates for map making. Now, we get to finally talk about map making. That's what is coming up in the next episode. For now, may you embrace that your perspective, it's not reality, it's a perspective. None of us are working with all the information. And may you, therefore, engage with the world in such a way that your perspective grows and never ceases.